as you read those verses, how committed Paul is. I mean, he is radically committed to the cause of Christ. He is radically committed to the gospel. And you see that right in that first verse when he says, But I wanted you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And there's so much in that little verse if you take that word, happened to me, in the life of Paul. So I started thinking a little bit about what, what, what got this man to this point to be so radically committed to the furtherance of the gospel. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Pastor Mike Tapia. In Philippians, and we're going to look at chapter 12, I mean chapter 1, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read through down through verse 23. But I want you to know, brethren, chapter 1, verse 12, down to 23. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we praise you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and worship you freely. We thank you, Father, that you've given us your word that we could understand and to know you better. Lord, and we just ask this morning that through the power of your spirit, you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, and help us, Father, as you lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, you may be seated. So if you have ever uh, met a person that is so committed, so committed to the cause or to their cause that they suffer rejection, 
And not just rejection, but persecution. Not just persecution, but they're stoned and they're beat. And even committed to their cause unto death. I think you would agree and you would say that they were radically committed. Radically committed to their cause. And as I was reading through this text um, this week, really what stuck out to me was this idea, as you read those verses, how committed Paul is. I mean, he is radically committed to the cause of Christ. He is radically committed to the gospel. And you see that right in that first verse when he says, But I wanted you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And there's so much in that little verse if you take that word, happened to me, in the life of Paul. So I started thinking a little bit about what, what, what got this man to this point to be so radically committed to the furtherance of the gospel and to Christ. So we're going to go back a little bit in the history of Paul, and I want us to turn back into the book of Acts. Back into the book of Acts, and we're going to look at chapter 7. And I'm going to read starting in verse 58, because I would say that one of the things that, that allowed Paul to be so radically committed would be the first point, and the first point is that he acknowledged his past before Christ. In other words, he acknowledged who he was before Christ. And we're going to take a look at who he was before Christ. So look at um, Acts 7, and I'll start reading in verse 58. Well, actually, let's, let's look back at verse 57, and then just to give you a little background before I read it, um, this is actually talking about the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen was a man of God. He had been uh, selected by the elders to be a, a deacon, which was basically a servant. He was out taking care of people, the widows of the church, and he was also committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these witnesses come against him and falsely accuse him and take him before the courts. And here he is standing before the religious leaders of the time, and he's just given this incredible, beautiful, beautiful speech of the history of the nation of Israel, and he gets to the point of the Savior to mention how they had rejected him, and now they're angry, and they're gnashing of teeth, and they're going after him. And this is what we see in verse 57. It says, Then they cried out, they, the religious leaders, with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And I want to point out here, here this Saul that we see here is Paul that we see in Philippians. It says that, and, um, that they lay, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So I started thinking about this, and, and, and this idea of a young man. Now, you have to understand this picture of Saul. It wasn't like he was a little 15-year-old boy just kind of hanging out, and the guys just came and laid their clothes down by him. 
If you look at the text and you read most of the, the commentaries and what the theologians would say is that Paul, as a young man, we're really looking at a man around 28, 30 in that range. So he wasn't a little kid. He was already a member of that organization of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the process. Now, the witnesses were the ones who accused Stephen, so they're the ones who take up the stones, according to the, the tradition. They would be the ones to cast the stones. But if you look at Paul's involvement here, it wasn't like he was the bystander watching. If you look a little bit further on in, verse, in chapter 8, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Okay, so Saul was consenting to his death. And that word consenting means he was well pleased. He was well pleased. He approved of this martyrdom of Stephen. So we're not looking at an innocent man here. So, so Paul acknowledges who he was in the past. Because if you look at Paul's writings, he refers back often to who he was. He refers back to the fact that he was there consenting to the death of Stephen many, many, many years later. So I can't imagine that Paul ever forgot that scene because he was consenting to it. He partook in the process. And I think this was very important in the molding of Paul's thinking and really how Paul then becomes so radically committed to the cause of the gospel. And, and I can't also help but think, um, as Saul is standing there, he's listening to this incredible message, this incredible witness of Stephen and the proclaiming of the Messiah and of the Christ. And, and you would think at that moment that these Pharisees would have fallen on their knees and recognized that it was Jesus. And, and Saul was standing there. But you know what it did to Saul? To Saul, though I believe it planted a seed in his heart, as the gospel does, as the gospel goes forth, it's going to plant a seed in man's heart whether they acknowledge it or not. But what we see happen to Saul in that moment is that Saul not only rejects it, he actually becomes angry and resentful because look at what happens. He says, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So here we see Saul, great zeal, great passion, misdirected, without knowledge, and a hardened heart towards Christ. So in, in, in Saul's life, his past, his acknowledgement of his past, I believe, also enabled him to become so radically committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Listen, he remembered who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew what he'd done. But he looked back on that past, no longer through the eyes of guilt and shame, but he looked back on the past through the eyes of grace. Through the eyes of grace. What he was forgiven of. Greatly forgiven of which gave him a greater passion and a greater love for Jesus Christ and for the furtherance of the gospel. So if you look now back to Philippians, I just want to diverse a little bit just to, to bring um, that idea of who Paul was. 
before Christ. Because I believe it plays a big part in this idea of becoming radically committed. So we see then, why do I say he was radically committed? Look, look, look at um, verse 12. It says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. Um, I believe the second point that I mentioned here in the idea of why Paul was so radically committed is that he also, number two, he accepted, he accepted his present in Christ. In other words, he recognized that the events of his life, the present times of his life, were actually there for a purpose, and they were serving a purpose for the furtherance of the gospel. If you go back to this specific passage, and he says, those things which happened to me, if we look at those things that happened to him, remember he's writing this to the, the letter to the, the Philippians. So obviously he's writing to the Philippian church. The Philippian church had a vested interest in Paul. They cared for him. Paul cared for them. And I'm sure that messengers had gotten back to the Philippians during this time. This was his third missionary journey after he left Macedonia, starting in Acts chapter 23. We start to see the events that just happened since he left the Philippians, since he left that church. And he went through a series of events there that happened that I believe they were reported to them. And at this case, Paul is trying to reply back to the Philippians. These are the events that happened. But listen, don't be sorrowful and don't be upset because these events happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And we see those events. Again, he's being persecuted. Um, They're trying to arrest him again during that time frame. And all along this last portion of his trip or the last leg of his missionary journey... He's headed to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to Jerusalem. But not only does he know he's going to Jerusalem, he knows he's going to Jerusalem to be taken prisoner without really knowing what's going to happen to him, but he's willing to do it. Why? Because he trusted God. He trusted that the events in his life were for the furtherance of the gospel. If you look at it right from the beginning, um, go back to Acts chapter 9, and we look at the conversion of Saul... Now, that point, so he was not only angry at that point, or let's say to the wreaking havoc on the church, but he's on the road to Damascus, right? If you go back, I'm just going to, let's digress back just one more time. Look at chapter 9 when he gets his conversion here. So then Saul, in verse 1, still breathing threats, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, goes to the high priest, he requests letters so he could go to Damascus and continue on the persecution. On the road to Damascus, he is radically converted. He is converted. He sees Jesus Christ, right? We know that famous line, the light comes and he hears the voice from heaven. And he says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus Christ whom you persecute. So, So we look at that all plays part in what's going on in Paul's life. Paul recognized that God had a plan. See, because in that point, when, when he was um, first aware, when he was converted to Christ, um, the Bible shows us that he was also blinded by that light for a season, and the prophet came to him, and the prophet came and prophesied over him, restoring his sight, but he told him he was going to go 
and eventually do this witnessing what he was doing before the kings. So he knew he was going in prison. He eventually was going to go to Rome and he was going to be witnessing to the kings, to the, to the nobles in that community. So Paul recognized that the things that had happened to him were for the furtherance of the gospel. So I believe that that allows him also to be radically committed. See, if we were to recognize and realize that our present events, whether they are trials, whether they are good happenings, whether they are bad happenings, whether they are uh, um, scenarios that cause us grief and pain, if we could realize that our present life is also part of God's plan and we could look at them as opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel, then our perspective changes. And this is what Paul was doing. He wasn't worried about the events of his life. He was more concerned with the furtherance of the gospel, recognizing that he was called for the defense of the gospel. He understood. He accepted. He accepted his present in Christ was for the furtherance of the gospel. And about a week ago or a week and a half ago, I was talking to a Pastor Eric, a friend of mine. Um, he works with a Renuevo, with a Spanish ministry here. And we were kind of out with our families. We were out by um, in Point Pleasant. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Riverfront Park. It's a really beautiful park. If you've never been there, you should go there. It's right on the water. And we were standing there just kind of overlooking the water. It was a really nice day. There was like a, light, like a small little beach there. And I guess it brought something to his remembrance because of the beach. And, and he shared with me, and I asked him if I could share this, and he said I could. Um, but he shared with me that he almost drowned when he was back in, his, in Ecuador um, trying to rescue a woman that was in, uh, caught in the, in the undercurrents of the water. And apparently it was an area that they were familiar with, most locals were familiar with, that it's very dangerous, that, that it looks calm, but it could turn vicious very quickly. So there was a woman who wasn't familiar with the terrain, and she was kind of wading in the water, so they saw her just wading in the shallows, and then all of a sudden, a wave comes in and draws her out. So now she gets dragged out in the currents. She's out offshore, and she's screaming for help. So as she's yelling for help, um, there's a group of them start to organize and to form a 10-man chain to get out into the water and try to rescue her. But the other thing that was really evident during this, when he was telling me the story, is that there was also a 94-year-old pastor on the shore. And what he did is he turned and he dropped to his knees and he started praying. So as they formed this 10-man chain to get out to this woman, they're, they're lined up, they're getting out there, and Pastor Eric was on the back end of the chain closest to the woman. All of a sudden, a wave comes in and takes the chain out. Now, all 10 are out in the currents, all getting stuck and dragged out. The woman's going further, and they're all asking for help now because they couldn't swim against the current. So... Pastor Eric was saying, so he was nearest the woman, he got near her, and he was trying to help her to keep her up, but she was so hysterical that she just kept pushing him under. Right? He just kept pushing him under, so he kept coming up, she kept pushing him under and screaming, and he was trying to calm her down. So now this fight's going on, he's fighting trying to keep her up, and then trying to stay against the currents, and now he's losing this battle. So um, he says he's starting to feel his legs are numb. And his arms are numb. He doesn't have much strength left. And on one of his little bobbles, as he bobbles up, he said, oh, he looked up. And right through his eye, he sees this red-headed surfer on a board coming out. So this, this red-headed dude comes out there, and he tells him, get your hands on the board. 
So he gets his hands up on the board. He tells the woman, get your hands on the board. So he gets her hands on the board, and, and the surfer brings them in. And there's another surfer out there doing the other same thing. So they get to shore, and as they shake off the event, and, you know, they start coming around, right, to their senses, they want to thank the surfers. So he says, you know, where's the surfer? Where's that guy? So we can thank him, the, the redhead surfer. And, and the people who were witnesses on the shore said there was no surfer. And he goes, no, 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 there was. And the other, the other ten people were there. There were. There was two guys. They brought us in. And the witnesses said, there was no surfers out there. The waves brought you in. And when that took place, the 94-year-old pastor that was on his knees praying, he said, you know, God's angels can surf. And he started preaching the gospel. And eight of those people, those men that were in that chain that did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, accepted Christ that day. Glorious thing, right? Now, you could look at that event in the perspective of those ten people, right? Or the believers, there's probably two believers in that chain of ten. You could look at it through the eyes of those two believers, including Pastor Eric's life, and say, this was a horrible day. I'm drowning. You know, this might be my last day on earth, right? The event taking place would seem out of control. And yet that event that took place served a purpose for the furtherance of the gospel. For the furtherance of the gospel. And, and I think Pastor Ken last week preached a little bit about this. The idea that, that God is on the throne, right? In, in, in the event that he spoke in Acts chapter 12, he talked about the life of Peter when Peter was taken prisoner at the time, and, and, and James had just been martyred, he had just been killed by Herod, and Herod seemed to be winning the battle, and, and even Pastor Ken said, you wouldn't think that God was on the throne. In those events, you would think that Herod was on the throne. But in the, in the end, Peter is released. As he uh, recounted the story, Herod eventually is filled with worms and bursts open and dies. And the scripture says what? And the church was multiplied. The church was multiplied. The gospel went forward. God was on the throne. So even in that event, God was on the throne. In the events in our lives, sometimes the events in our lives don't go that well, right? How many of you guys have ever had things go in life that aren't that well? Right? But we can look at those events as opportunities, as opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel if we're in tune to the Spirit of God. Because isn't that the point? Um, God has rescued us. He has saved us. He has hopefully radically converted us from who we were for a purpose, which is the furtherance of the gospel. Right? I think our brother John said we're not, we weren't saved just to sit on the chair and drink some coffee, right? We were saved for a reason and a purpose. And the furtherance of the gospel is part of that purpose. And looking at a Paul and his radical commitment to this, is he recognized that the events that were transpiring in his life, and the events that were yet to come that he was not sure of, remember he's in prison. He's not sure how it's going to end at this point. I mean, we, we have the story so we can see what happens. But he's not sure what's going to happen at this point. All he knows is that now he's been four years at this point, more than likely, in prison. 
Um, certainly with some freedoms to preach the gospel because God made allowances, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But those events that took place in his life, not knowing what were going to transpire, he was trusting God, that God was on the throne, that God was in control, and that he had a plan and a purpose. And that purpose was the furtherance of the gospel message and giving glory to God. So if we look at a little bit just um, further down, so now we see it says that um, these things that have happened turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And then he goes on um, not only to mention the furtherance of the gospel by what he himself was doing um, by preaching to those members of the palace guard and all those who were able to come and visit him. Um, he says another way the gospel was furthered here is that most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's uh, the brothers that are seeing Paul in prison and becoming emboldened by the fact that, hey, he's doing this, he did this, he's committed, we're going to be committed too, and we're going to share the same glorious gospel message. They became emboldened. And, and I started thinking about that. I was like, wow, you know, Paul was bold. How many of you guys think Paul was bold? All right, I mean, he was super bold when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. But he's writing on the backs of many other prophets in history that were bold, proclaiming the gospel. But I also believe that his experience with Stephen had something to do with this, because Stephen proclaimed Christ to his death. He was bold to the end. He even asked that this wouldn't be charged against them. And I think that affected Paul as well. Where Paul would think, when Paul was, I couldn't help but think, when Paul was being stoned, that he would think back of Stephen. But Stephen stood his ground. He drew courage also from the events of Stephen. Just as the brothers were drawing courage from the events in Paul's life, just as we draw courage when we hear the events that take place in all the characters in the Scripture, their incredible boldness, their steadfastness, their desire for God to be glorified, not distracted by the cares of the world, but focused on the things of God. That brings us encouragement, doesn't it? So just like people were emboldened here because of what they saw in Paul's life, then we also can be emboldened because of what we see in Paul's life. And, and those brethren that saw this as well. So the gospel was going forth. And for Paul, he said, you know, some indeed preach Christ even out of envy and strife. Um, also some for goodwill. So there was the, the, the idea that some were doing this for their own benefit. And others were doing it for honest and sincere reasons. But ultimately Paul said, you know what, but for whatever reason, doesn't really matter. He goes down to verse 18. He goes, what then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So he recognized that, and he accepted that his present was for the furtherance of the gospel, right? He accepted that his present time in Christ was for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, and then the third point, we're going to see in the next verses, I believe that made Paul so radically committed to the cause of Christ is what we see in these next verses that I'm going to read, is that he anticipated his future with Christ. He anticipated his future with Christ. Let's take a look at verse 21. He goes on to say, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, 
Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Here, he anticipated his future with Christ. See, he, he recognized not only that he was saved from a difficult past, he an- acknowledged his past before Christ, and that he also then accepted his present in Christ, he was anticipating his future with him. Right? For him, it was far better to be in the presence of God than to even be here on this earth. So he wasn't working, or he wasn't working from this temporal view, what is my life like now? I need to be more comfortable, and I wish I didn't get beat so much, or I wish I wasn't being persecuted. He wasn't thinking about those things. In the midst of all that, he was anticipating he was going to be with Christ for eternity. Right? He was living in light of eternity. He was living with his eyes fixed on the future. See, as Christians, that's the beautiful thing that we have. We have this incredible hope. We have the hope in the gospel message. This is what Paul is talking about. He not only believed it, he lived it. The hope of the gospel. Right? And and what is the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is that we will be with God for eternity. That this life is temporal. And, And us, living on this life, separated from God before the gospel, can be restored back into a right relationship with God because of the gospel, Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And and this is what Paul was trusting in. This is why not only was he radically committed to it, he was trusting in the gospel message. And he believed the message, and he lived the message. And, And I think, how can we apply this then, right? This was Paul. Paul was radically committed, radically committed to the gospel. So how do we apply that to ourselves, right? Because I don't know, does anybody want to be radically committed to the gospel? There's so many things that take us away from this though. But if we look at those three points and apply them in our lives, I believe that we can also be radically committed, right? So we, number one, we acknowledge our past before Christ. Let's remember who we were, right? But let's not remember who we were in guilt and regrets. Let's remember who we were through the eyes of grace. Thank God I'm not what I used to be. The grace of God that's covered over our sin, that grace of God that's a gift that was given to us, we can look back and remember that we could be radically committed because we're no longer this. And we have a purpose, and there's a call, and there's a cause. The second thing, I believe, if we would just accept, accept our present in Christ, we can also view life and be radically committed. No matter what happens in our life, right, good or bad, all the events, there's opportunities in every event to exalt God. There's opportunities in every event to proclaim Christ by our actions and our attitudes, by how we respond to events, to the people around us as they see us, if we're mistreated, whatever it is, we have the opportunity to allow those circumstances, to allow those circumstances in our lives to be a springboard for the gospel message as we live out our lives as believers. So we can be radically committed as well. But we need to accept our position, right? We need to accept where we are, who we are, what we do, why we do it, because God has a plan in all of it. 
And instead of trying to constantly change our circumstances and improve our circumstances according to um, the American standard or the American way, the reality is we can accept them for the furtherance of the gospel. And then we can stand like Paul and say, hey, those things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And not allow the things that have happened to us to embitter us or to anger us or to turn us away from God, but to turn us towards God that we will lead others to that same place. And the third point, I believe that we can apply to ourselves as well as that third point, that we can anticipate, anticipate our future with Christ. See, if we have our eyes on eternity, if our eyes are fixed on the prize, if our eyes are fixed on the fact that when we leave this place, we are with him forever and eternity, that this is just a temporal stopping ground to bring him glory, if we can live like that in light of that, then I believe we can also be radically committed to the cause of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's why we were saved. That's why we're a church. We're a church not just to come and listen, not just to read the Bible. Those are really awesome and amazing things. But we are a church because we are a community of believers that God has placed together. He has called out for the furtherance of the gospel. I mean, how many of you know people? Wow, you all know people. That's amazing. Yeah, but you know what? God has placed you with people so that people could come to know Jesus Christ for the furtherance of the gospel. Right? We all know people. Right? I mean, if you all invited one person to come to church to hear the gospel, right? I mean, we all can do something. But that's what we're here for. We're called out to learn, to be equipped, to be ready, to go. That we would be radically committed to the gospel just like Paul and the other men and women that we see um, in the scriptures and then throughout history that have been committed, radically committed to the gospel cause. So I just want to encourage us this morning that though we see this in Paul, his radical commitment, we can also see that in us. If we allow God to use us, if we allow God to speak to our hearts. And, and the first thing, again, I'm just going to take one moment here, is the gospel itself. I don't know everybody here, whether you all fully understand the gospel message or those online, if you've ever really accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but that is the first thing that needs to be done, right? It, it's the message that Paul died for. Not just Paul, but the message that Christ died for was freedom, that we would have freedom from our sin, that we would have freedom from the, the consequences of sin, which is death and eternal separation from God. You know, the other day I was asked the question, um, what's the difference between um, what we say some of the different religions and what Christianity says? And, and ultimately, it points down to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the big difference. Do we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior? Do we recognize that he died on the cross for our sins? Do we recognize that we're sinners? That we can't do anything to get close to God on our own through our good works, right? Though good works are good and doing things are good and helping people, those are awesome things. But none of those really save us. None of us brings us closer to God Ultimately, it's only through Jesus Christ, 
Right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's only through Jesus and his beautiful, beautiful sacrifice on the cross that paid for our sins, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want to encourage you um, right now just to think of this. First thing you need to do is recognize that you're a sinner, that you're separated from God. Can't do anything on your own. You can't get close to God on your own. You need to be forgiven. If you choose to walk away from God in the moment that he offers you salvation, you're actually asking and choosing to live separated from God for eternity. That's a long, long time. Right? You have the opportunity this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, acknowledge your sin. Recognize that he died on the cross to forgive your sins. And that if you would ask him, if you would call out on him, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, you will be given an eternal gift, eternal life, and restored relationship with God the Father. And if you are here and you do know Christ, which I believe most of us in this room do, I mean, would it be amazing if we can be radically committed to the gospel? And I know, listen, if we examine our hearts and we examine our thoughts, there's a good chance most of us, me included, could say, well, maybe I'm not radically committed. I'm kind of committed. You know, I love Jesus. I love that he saved me. Some things make me uncomfortable. Maybe I won't tell anybody. But it's cool because I'm going to heaven. Right? I mean, that's kind of how we think. Life gets in the way. We get distracted. We pursue things that we want. But the reality is what God wants for us is to pursue the gospel. That we would be witnesses for him. And we can't do that without his help. We can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can draw courage. The fact that Paul could do it and all these uh, biblical characters can do this and throughout history men and women have done it that means we can do it as well i mean wouldn't it be crazy if if everybody at emmanuel bible church was radically committed to the furtherance of the gospel you think there'd be enough room in this church to hold the people would there enough room on this campus to hold the people would be like multiple services outdoors indoors if just this few right here were radically committed to the furtherance of the gospel but let's pray that God would give us the strength, right? It's going to take action. It's going to take prayer. And it's going to take us acknowledging, accepting, and anticipating so that we don't have to live for now. We can live for him. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. You're an amazing God, Lord. First of all, we want to confess to you, Father, that we fall short of this commitment. And please forgive us. Forgive us that we've allowed the things of the world to get in the way, the, the, the events of the times to get in the way, to distract us from the one thing that really matters, the only thing that matters, which is the furtherance of the gospel. Father, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you are faithful in spite of our lack of faithfulness, Lord. And I just pray, we need you, Lord. We need the power of your spirit to do this. We can't do this on our own, Lord. But we do ask that you would help us. Father, help us through your spirit to be radically committed to the furtherance of your gospel. And wherever that takes us, Lord, Father, help us to accept it, to accept it, because we know that we are anticipating a future with you, an eternity with you, 
Now is the time to work. Father, help us, Lord. We can't do this without you. In Jesus' name, amen.